Hey everybody, welcome to the latest episode of Lethal Podcast. Uh, It's been a while since I've done this. Uh, I'm glad to be back and I'm very excited that we get to bring you this episode today. Uh, It's our quarterly update with the Ashby Bowhunting Foundation. I guess we're going to start quarterly updates now. Uh, We were joined by Rob Nielsen, uh, the current president of the ABF, and our friend Jake Thompson, who's the secretary of the ABF, as well as one very special guest uh, that none of us were expecting uh, I know for a fact you guys are going to enjoy that, and don't worry, you don't have to wait very long to uh, see or hear who it is. Uh, we had a great time discussing all the partnerships that ABF has been forming over the last year, answered a lot of listener questions, and we talked a lot about the preconceived notions that people may or may not have. Uh, it's just a really good episode, and we're pumped that you guys get to listen to this information straight from the horse's mouth. Um, as always, this podcast is sponsored by Hunter's Blend Coffee. Uh, I've been on a bit of a diet restriction lately, which is why I haven't been here, spoiler alert. Uh, so I haven't drank a ton of coffee, uh, but that doesn't mean that you can't. So go to huntersblendcoffee.com, use the code ABF at checkout, be sure to use all caps, and 10% of your purchase will be donated uh, to the organization that we talked to today, the Ashby Bow Hunting Foundation. So don't forget to go do that before the episode is over. Um, as always, if you like the content, we really appreciate if you drop us a quick review on iTunes specifically. Uh, it's the most popular platform out there, and every review you give, uh, you give us creates more exposure for the podcast and for the movement in general. Uh, we love it when you guys do that for us. And also, we have merch on our website. It's there. Uh, go buy some of that. It's That's cool, and we like that. Uh, it helps us out a lot. Uh, also, if you guys have bought stickers recently and haven't got them, uh, it's my fault. I haven't been able to make it to the post office due to uh, being stuck in a hospital for a couple weeks. Uh, I'll talk about that pretty early in the podcast, but I promise those will be going out very soon, very soon as I am now at home. So anyway, enough of my rambling. Here's our episode with the Ashby Bowhunting Foundation. Enjoy. I guess before we lead into anything, uh, Rob, have you, uh, Rob Hummel, yeah, have yeah. you been on the internet in like the last, I don't know, two to three hours, like perusing the internet at all? I have not. Okay. So, uh, you, you may, I'll, I'll loan you my bow and we'll talk about that more of why I'm loaning <laughs> Rob my bow here well, in a little bit. That, that'd be why I haven't uh, been on Facebook or anything. Oh in yeah. Couple of hours. Yeah. That's, that's true. I'll loan you my bow. Uh, but, um, uh, the new expedite was, uh, oh, was it officially re- launched quote unquote release? I saw pictures. I don't know if it's official or not, but I saw pictures. It's the it, expedite NXT it's and it's got a my fi- eye. It's a five and a half inch brace height bow. Yeah. Instead of the and five and a quarter, five and a quarter. Yeah. So it's five and a half and it's still a 360 IBO 352 with HL mods. So yeah. yeah, available in 80 pounds. FYI. It's got my so, attention. Yeah. That bow. I feel like I bought my bow like six months too early because if <laughs> it'd been a five and a half, I could, you, you could, you, you can happy. fit you. Well, you can fit all the rest on a yeah, five and yeah, you can yeah. on a five and a half. You, you can. So anyway, so there you go. Have fun with that. Oh yeah. Uh, but, uh, um, uh, after that side note, uh, Hi, everyone. I'm back, I guess. So I'll give like a really quick synopsis. We're, we're all back. Uh, yeah, we're all back. <laughs> I, I've, I've been I've been yes. absent for a, a couple of episodes now. Thank you, uh, Garrett, for picking up the slack yeah. for me. I mean, uh, 
Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, long story short, I had uh, an emergency surgery to take out half of my large intestine. Um, I won't bore you guys with the details, but I've got a pretty sweet scar on my stomach now. Uh, but unfortunately, that means I will not be hunting this fall. So womp womp. And like Garrett pointed out, I did it all just to get out of hiking the mountains with Garrett and, and uh, Dave. Yeah, uh, it just scared me to death. So I said, yeah, cut me open, have, Doc. You could have just said that you weren't in shape. Like, yeah, yeah. Right. Been fine. <laughs> <laughs> well, the good news is since I had like, half my large intestine removed, I've lost like 25 pounds. So, so there's that. Right. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm making progress. I'm, now, that, now I'm that's good. That's one way to do it. <laughs> yeah, right. So uh, so I won't be hunting this year, unfortunately, but uh, but we'll still keep uh, giving you guys some content. Uh, tonight, we're working, uh, working and talking with the Ashby Bow Hunting Foundation. Foundation. We have uh, uh, Rob Nielsen here, who's the president. Uh, Jake Thompson, you are the treasurer, right? Secretary. 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 Okay. And uh, and we have more a like a secretary. <laughs> <laughs> Jake, uh, Jake the secretary. I'm just picturing Jake in high heels now. Um, <laughs> really good instead of Mary Jane's. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and we have a very special guest here tonight that I was not expecting in the slightest. Uh, we are being joined by the man himself, Doctor Ed Ashby. Uh, Doc, uh, it is a pleasure to finally get to talk to you. Well, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. I was, uh, I, I did hear that uh, I got a fan that was kind of disappointed I wasn't going to be around. So I thought uh, I'd get on here and uh, maybe uh, pass something on to Alexandria. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I think uh, I think she will appreciate that, and I, I can I can already hear Alex hyperventilating and falling out of her chair right now. So <laughs> yep, uh, that's going to be an immediate phone call. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I I didn't even think about that. I'm gonna have to make sure when I post this the on Friday that I don't have any meetings in the morning because I know Alex is going to blow up my phone. So, <laughs> so there's that. Uh, but yeah, very very excited to have the the ABF on here uh, and and a lot of representing members, obviously. Um, so tonight we wanted to kind of cover. Uh, how long has it been? When when was our first episode? Actually, I'm going to pull that up right now. It's been a it's while. A it's a year ago. A year? Okay. I was going to say, it's been it's been about a year. And uh, lo and behold, you guys have been busy. Busy, yep. busy. Yep. Uh, so we wanted to kind of give give an update on everything that, uh, that's that been happening with the ABF. Uh, answer some questions from some, uh, uh, from some listeners, as well as uh, kind of talk through some, some other... Uh, maybe preconceived notions and stuff like that that we wanted to try and knock out and just have have a good discussion about. So, okay. um, yeah. Uh, so let's uh, let's kind of let's lean into this with the partnership aspect. Okay. Um, so you guys, the whole thing started with Texas Parks and Wildlife, right? Correct. Texas Parks and Wildlife Department, and that was uh, we officially partnered with them. We started actually meeting with Texas Parks and Wildlife Department in twenty. 18, late 2018, we started working with them in early 2019, um, did some workshops uh, for those, for Texas Parks and Wildlife Department, the Hunter Ed groups, and uh, officially partnered with them in uh, September of uh, 2019. And uh, basically, that evolved being Texas Parks and Wildlife Department, and they are basically the leader in the uh, wildlife uh, 
departments across the U.S. Uh, that evolved into discussions uh, with the NBEF, the National Bowhunter Education Foundation, and and TPWD for the 2020 bowhunter ed books that were destined for Texas. Uh, basically inserted a blow-in of the 12 factors affecting arrow lethality. Uh, and we did a, a brief summary of the 12 factors just to have in the uh, NBEF books coming into uh, Texas. And then the NBEF uh, actually added uh, the Ashby Bowhunting Foundation in the back of the books uh, under yeah, the Bowhunter Resource Directory. Yeah, that's um, awesome. So, uh, but uh and then uh, probably also in 2019, and we might have already covered this, we were, and I'll, I'll set the record straight, some people were thinking, oh, well, Ashby Bowhunting Foundation got bowhunting legalized in Russia. Well, no, we maybe provided information to Russia uh, right. to help them get over the top, and uh, then they legalized bowhunting. But uh, that was basically the... Uh, the communication uh, there with Russia, I, I communicated with a guy with a fancy title and uh, name I can't pronounce. And uh, <laughs> but uh, and and I swear to that's the reason I cannot get my global entry through uh, Homeland Security right now. So I've got emails going to a dot ru for mine. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's, uh, but, uh, that, that'll happen. But, but and, my, and that's a good distinction to make, though, is that with all the countries and organizations that you know, do have stuff in, in motion, yeah. you guys are, are simply providing information. You're going, you know, here's the information that we have. Yeah. Use it to the, you know, the best that you can. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, but as we all know, Russia legalized it. I don't know anybody. I mean, that right after that coronavirus and all that. So everybody shut down. I don't know of anybody that's gone, traveled over there from the U S that's gone to bow hunt. They maybe have, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure they have. Uh, but, uh, uh, coming forward from that, uh, we, um, we actually partnered with the Houston Safari Club in uh, post-convention yep. season. It was in April. Uh, we uh, ended up uh, partnering with the Houston Safari Club. Um, in May, uh, we ended up partnering with the with FAZA, the Professional Hunters Association of South yeah, Africa. Yeah, I, I remember. I remember uh, you guys were doing obviously when when we were at DSC. Mm-hmm. You and Garrett were running around like madmen, making all these connections and talking with people. And I remember. FASA being a discussion uh, uh, at DSC uh, back last January or whatever that was. Yes, and uh, and I was supposed to go to South Africa in November for their AGM meeting and yeah. start working with them just like uh, we are for TPWD, mm-hmm. uh, but obviously everything shut down, so that's going to get postponed and maybe – 2021 AGM meeting, I can be over there for, uh, for them. And, uh, and I might end up doing a, uh, virtual, uh, conference for them at their, uh, for at this November to, to right. help them out. So, yeah, yeah, that'd be good. Uh, and, be awesome. uh, and then, uh, we also, uh, partnered with Dallas Safari Club, uh, and, uh, which I mean, everybody knows that, uh, I mean, Dallas, uh, and Dallas Safari Club and Houston Safari Club are both, uh, very, very aggressive, uh, premier, uh, conservation organization. So we're, yeah, we're real, absolutely. We're, we're excited to have not only, I mean, we basically, got, we've got Texas Parks and Wildlife, Houston Safari Club and Dallas Safari Club. So, I mean, we've got, uh, we've got a, a strong, 
obviously it's big tr- big trio there for yeah. sure and we're based here in texas so that's a that's a big big thing and uh, yeah and then there's a there's a, a young group of guys uh that does a, a youtube channel that we are helping out uh we're we partnered up with those guys, uh, the hunting public guys. They've got, hey, yeah. Mm-hmm. Some people have heard of them yeah. before. Yeah. I think <laughs> they've got several hundred thousand, 200, 250,000 followers or something on the YouTube yeah. channel. But, yeah. They've got a lot, but I think they, that's a great way for us to help reach, uh, their followers and, uh, be a source of information for those guys and, uh, and well, help them it, out. It definitely made a big splash when that, that yeah. went down. Yeah, okay. you've made a, you've made our life a living hell, but but thank you, I appreciate it. <laughs> it's a good thing. It's a good You're yeah. You're welcome. <laughs> um, and then uh, most recently, uh, we uh, the latest one we've done is uh, with uh, Namibia, the Namibia uh, Professional Hunters Association. So uh, that's uh, that was the latest one. We just did that one in July, and uh, and actually Namibia had asked us uh, to. They were trying to get uh, crossbow hunting legalized in Namibia hmm. and they asked us to review their archery regs and we did and we gave them some suggestions and basically along the lines in a nutshell that uh, it doesn't matter if it's a crossbow a longbow recurve compound launching it that it's an inanimate object here's what you need and uh, we sent this uh, detailed information to them and my last uh, discussion with them is uh it had been provided to their Ministry of Environment and Tourism, uh, which oversees all the hunting in uh, mm-hmm. Namibia, and uh, it was uh, viewed favorably and will likely be signed into law. So great, yeah, that's awesome. Uh, so that's is that awesome. is that is that just going to be for crossbows, or is that for anything else? No, oh, well, bow hunting is legal, but you just, oh, okay. just crossbows were not for gotcha. for some gotcha. reason. And so, so, so what's the story on Namibia? I don't, I don't know much about it. I, I don't, I don't hear a ton about it in, in the hunting circles, I guess for, for Africa. But I mean, obviously if they've got a professional, uh, hunters association, they must have something oh, big it, going on yeah, there. Most the hunters go there all the time. I mean, beautiful yeah. country and, uh, yeah, people go there all the time and hunt the, uh, it's not legal to hunt dangerous game with a bow there in Namibia. So, oh. and, uh, so they've got, uh, they've, they've got their reasons and, uh, you know, I mean, it, it is what it is right now. So, and, and, right. and I've told them, I was like, if y'all ever wanted to look at that, we're here to be a source of information for you because we've yeah. got, uh, data collected from other countries where it is legal. So, yeah. Uh, do they, uh, do they have a good dangerous game population there? Yes. Yeah. Yes. That's good. Well, man, you got, like I said, you guys have been busy my yeah. goodness yeah and, <laughs> and so and yeah we've got several others that we're still uh that we're in discussions with so and, yeah and then our then our latest thing i don't know if i've told y'all but we are getting closer to launching our ashby 100 fundraiser which will yeah, be uh, for the first uh 100 bow hunters that contribute 1000 or more uh, to the Ashby Bow Hunting Foundation, uh, I'm working up a uh, basically a uh, appreciation package for all these uh, guys. We'll do that, and then also we are working on a list of things to draw out of a hat uh, for these uh, donors, uh, such as hunts in Botswana, hunts in South Africa. Uh, I've got a very premier. A hunt in North America on a private ranch that you cannot hunt on unless you know the landowner. Um, 
So uh, it's uh, it's going to be interesting, and, and we're working on a few other hunts as well to uh, put in the mix. Yeah. So, uh, but I, I'm guessing two three weeks we'll probably be ready to uh, launch that. So, oh well, save me a spot, please. Are you guys uh, <laughs> looking at doing any different tiers for like uh, people to donate at, or is it right now just the that thousand dollar tier? Uh, it's right now the Ashby One Hundred is going to be the. Th- uh, one thousand dollar i mean if they want to donate more they're more than welcome to and and this money oh, yeah. this money will go to the uh funding to get the uh testing kick started right here in texas so yeah that'll be great yeah. so uh so will you guys be is that going to be something that's kind of um uh, like is it going to be open to the public or is that going to be kind of like a private invitation kind of thing uh, so if, if somebody's listening and they want to get in on that how how would they do that if the, if that's possible they could contact us so okay. and, I, and i've already started a list of uh names and circulated it to the found co-founders the other co-founders to uh mm-hmm. and we're going to come down we're going to run down a whole list i think y'all are on that list so oh good uh, so, that's good and if there's uh, any anybody else then i mean we're going to run through it and then uh and obviously it, uh, it, it it'll probably be a lot word of mouth and sure. uh, yeah and, and then uh so I imagine we'll fill a lot of it by word of mouth and then probably reaching out to select bow hunters that maybe haven't heard about us or heard about, sure. probably heard about us, but not know what we're doing right now with the Yeah. The yeah. So. Yeah. That'd be, that'd be good. So if somebody wants to reach out to you, would they just go to the ashbybowhunting.org and then do the uh, contact and then send you an email from there? Yep. Yeah, or it's just rob at ashbybowhunting.org. There you go. Either one. Yeah, either one. It it, it gets to me either way. So yeah, yeah, that's great. Uh, So, man, you guys, uh, I I just can't even comprehend how much work you guys have done over over the last year. And and I know uh, one of the people that have been a a big part of that that isn't here is is Garrett Schleif. I know he's uh, he's not technically. uh, part of the board, uh, but I, at least I think, right? My, my, he's a director. Okay, yeah, okay. So he's he's a director, but I know he, uh, 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 I know he's been doing doing a lot of work for you. So uh, sad we couldn't have him on tonight. But uh, shout out to Garrett for uh, the other Garrett for all the work that that he's been doing. Correct. Um. So and, and at your website at the Ashby Bowhunting. Uh, dot org. If people want to take a look at these uh, organizations that that you've uh, uh, gotten linked up with, uh, it, there's a link on there uh, on the top that says links, and then all of those supporting organizations. Oh, look, we have a podcast. Uh, all of those supporting organizations are there. Yeah. So people are interested in in going and checking out FAZA or the Namib- the Namibia uh, Professional Hunter Association or, or any of these guys, you can always check it out there. Yes. Uh, and and this is, you also, on your ABF page here, this is where you have a bunch of the uh, um, Ashby uh, reports and, and, and all the, uh, basically all, like, all the uh, reports are, are here for anyone to look at, right? Completely free of charge? Correct, correct. Yeah. It's all under just Ashby reports. Yeah. And, uh yeah, you can find from 1987 all the way through the 2019 update. Yeah, yeah, that's great. So, and, and I know this is, uh, and, and uh, I know uh, we've got Jake here who was who was Doc's understudy, and 
uh, you know, and obviously you, Rob, I'm sure you've been helping out with that too. But a, a question that we get a lot and something I see online quite a bit is, uh, well, uh, uh, Ashby's stuff was, was good for traditional bows, uh, uh, shooting, uh, you know, Buffalo, uh, uh, in, you know, 30 years ago, 20 years ago, 15 years ago. Uh, but I know, I know there's been continued research and verification of all this. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Maybe, uh, doc, if you want to jump in on, on any of that conversation, please feel free. Yeah, I mean, the, I mean, for those guys that say it's all good for traditional, I mean, it goes to the same thing we uh, discuss with uh, Namibia. It's, it doesn't matter what launches that arrow. I mean, the laws of physics are the same, and uh, they're called the laws of physics for a reason. Uh, it, it, it's so. I mean, it, it's it's kind of uh, interesting that. Uh, I mean, yeah, the bows are going to launch them more uh, different. The the compounds will be more efficient. Say a fifty pound compound will be more efficient to launch that bu- that arrow than a uh, fifty pound recurve. Sure. Uh, so uh, yeah, and. You know, and with that research, uh, you know, basically you have the manufacturers that followed this research and designed their products based on this research, i.e. Grizzly Stick is the number one out there, uh, all the way through the tapered shafts as well. And uh, they've been the leader in that. And uh, their their record uh, for hunting large and dangerous game cannot be touched by anyone. So, uh, and then not only the large and dangerous game, but they've evolved their products over the years and it's been utilized on, you know, everything from Turkey through elephant. I mean, and probably even smaller than Turkey. So that's, uh, and and that's a a good, I guess, kind of reference point because that was primarily a traditional company that in a matter of years flipped to like, I want to say what Garrett had referenced in the past was like, they flipped to like 75% compound yep. from being pretty much purely traditional. I mean, it all translates. Yes. Yes. And didn't, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong and doc, feel free to chime in here, but weren't compounds like wasn't, or wasn't at least a compound used in the original testing. Oh yeah. Am I crazy for thinking that? I, the original tall state. Uh, had an 85 pound Martin Warthog in there. Uh, and I used some compounds through the other testing. And most of the reason that I did a lot of the later testing with the traditional bows is that to be able to compare penetration, I have to keep the arrow within the animal. If it goes right, the yep. other side, we change penetration methods. And so mm-hmm, yep. I can collect a little bit of data off that, but I cannot use it for comparison of how one setup penetrates compared to another. So I had to concentrate with bows that would not give me an arrow sticking out the other side very often. Right, right. And that's one reason we shied away from the compound for later studies. We got the arrow setups good. If you put it into a a 70-pound compound, and the arrow's no longer in the buffalo. It's out there in the grass somewhere. (laughs) right yeah well and that's a a good thing to to mention is for testing purposes you can't once that broadhead clears the the off side you can't measure it anymore you can no longer measure it change penetration so statistically that's a big reason for the equipment that you kept using because you needed valid data 
correct. I need to be able to compare one arrow setup to another because it was the arrow we're looking at, not the bow. So we're trying to right. improve the terminal performance of the arrow. Now that terminal performance relatively is going to carry over to any bow. It might be a greater amount off compound than off traditional bow, but it's going to be applicable to both. Yeah. And, and in that, in, in your uh, research, uh, once again, correct me if I'm wrong, but you didn't, uh, and I know the, the big thing that everyone uh, uh, wants to circle back around to is 650, 650 grains, 650 grains. But the point point being here, uh, you didn't find a difference in the heavy bone penetration threshold, whether it was from that 40 pound uh, recurve or uh, one of those compounds, right? It was the same thing, same right, results? It was the same, yeah. As far as actually breaching the yeah. bone, that heavy bone threshold, uh, was consistent with all bows, including compounds. Yeah, yeah. So I thought. So I thought people yeah. that people just don't want to read the reports. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> well, might that's be. the main problem, isn't it? Yeah, it, it really is. It really uh, is. Yeah, people uh, read for what they want to hear and then quit. Yeah. Yep. Well, one of the things that that people get so confused on, uh, and it is a really important thing, is the heavy bone threshold. That's 650 mm-hmm. grains doesn't mean you can take any arrow that weighs 650 grains and breach heavy bone every time. Mm-hmm. There are a lot right. of other parameters of that arrow. We're talking about penetration enhanced arrows. In other words, they had to be uh, a mechanical advantage on the broadhead of 2.6 greater to give us a 100% breaching rate. But I can take any broadhead Take a mechanical, it doesn't matter, any broadhead. And you're going to get the occasional one that's going to go through. But as you get up towards that 650 grain weight, the percentage that will breach the bone has a jump. Now, it might be a jump from 5% to 12%. But when you get up to those good error setups, it was from below or at 50% to 100% breaching the bone. Right. Was not yep. And and that happened that happened like like a hundred and or a hundred shots in a row, something like that, right? If I well, if I remember was, correctly. Yeah, that was where we, we were doing they were uh penetration enhanced, mechanically secure, uh, uh structurally secure, errors. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there was six hundred and fifty grains or more. And uh we had I believe it was hundred and ninety six consecutive shots that breached the heavy <laughs> bone, and almost twenty five percent of those with it were with a 40 pound bare formula silver target bow a recurve hmm. so you can take a 40 That's pound incredible. bow with the right arrow and you can kill buffalo with it it'll work yeah 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 man i know i, I mean i'm I, if i were to go hunt a buffalo i'd probably hunt with something heavier than a, a 40 pound just to just to try and stretch the distance a little bit where i don't have to be where i don't have to put a saddle on it to to kill it uh <laughs> but uh the heavier bow you want to shoot the heaviest bow that you can actually handle right you yeah well, I, I'm no, nowhere near where you were shooting but there are a lot of people out yeah. there that can't shoot more than a 50 pound bow right yep. yeah with the right arrow setup, they can still go hunt these animals if that's what they want to do. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I mean, that you talk about enabling and empowering, you know, uh, uh, young adults or, you know, or kids that, that we need to be getting into the sport or, or women that we need to be getting into the sport because the, you know, we're losing hunters left and right every day. We're fighting this uphill battle. Mm-hmm. We have to get, we have to get people other than the quintessential, you know, fully grown man into this. And, uh, and it's, it's great to know that, you know, if, if my wife who shoots, you know, roughly 45, 50 pounds, uh, out of a compound wanted to go and hunt dangerous game, then she could, she could do that. And I mean, absolutely. She could irrefutable data to, to well, back this up. And not even just the dangerous game, but for getting people into it, you take kids like Wisconsin, our, our minimum draw weight is 30 pounds, right? So a kid has to be able to draw 30 pounds in order to legally hunt in Wisconsin. Now, if you take the typical shop setup, they're going to go, oh man, like you've got to run like a 300 grain arrow if you want any kind of, you know, distance and whatever else. But what happens, you know, what's the comparison there of going, okay, we've got this kid that is getting accustomed to this light arrow and then potent more than likely seeing struggles in the field, or we set them up with a higher chance of success, say around like 500 grains, and then put them into the same situation for whitetail or turkey or whatever it is. When kids see success, they want to keep doing it. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that you you bring up a good point there. Sorry to cut you off, Rob, but you bring you bring up a, you bring up a good point there with with talking about kids and especially newcomers to the sport. And this is actually one of the questions from uh, from a listener. Uh, and, and I like to use my wife as as a as an example to this because she didn't grow up bow hunting uh, like I did. And so when when we got her a bow and uh, and and started getting her shooting these kind of things, I knew right off the bat we we're going to set her up with a heavier arrow. So. Uh, she shoots uh, roughly, it's like 520-ish grain arrow. Uh, and, and she's pulling, right now she's pulling like mid-40s, like 45 pounds. So, uh, you know, to anyone else, that'd be like me shooting, uh, you know, like an 800-ish grain arrow where most people would say, that's you. That's way too heavy. That trajectory is, isn't, isn't good enough at all. Uh, uh, but to a newcomer, they have no sense of what, you know, of what an acceptable trajectory is. Mm -hmm. So the question that came from, uh, from one of the listeners was, uh, what do you deem as an acceptable trajectory? I think, I think this is going to be kind of opinion based, but I'm kind of curious what, what you guys think. Straight up personal. (laughs) Straight up personal. Absolutely. And, uh, I've had that thing thrown at me and some people are like, well, that your heavy arrows aren't as accurate. Well, no, my heavy arrows are damn accurate. Uh, it's where I'm, it's what I'm comfortable with. Uh, and, and for some reason, a lot of people have gotten off on this accuracy, a heavy arrow and the trajectory is not uh, accurate, but no, a trajectory is simply a personal issue altogether. I mean, it's what can, what is that bow hunter capable of doing? Some, some bow hunters might want to shoot. I was just talking to a guy and, and, and I think he's the heaviest whitetail arrows that I've heard of. Uh, and he, the guy's got perfect flight. He's comfortable with it. He's, Have you heard of this guy named Rob Hummel who hunts whitetail <laughs> with 950 grain arrows? Okay. This is a, he's, this is the same guy too. So it's, it's, it's his twin brother. So, and, uh, but, uh, but yeah, he hunts, he was in the 950 grain, uh, and hunting, uh, whitetails. And I'm like, Hey, you know, it's like, if, 
you're good. You know, he was asking right. me what I thought of it. I was like, it doesn't matter what I think of it. You've got structural integrity. You've got perfect flight. You're comfortable with the trajectory. You're good. So, uh, and, uh, but he, he does that. So, uh, anyway, yeah. I mean, it makes me seem like a middleweight at 700 grains. So, I'm, <laughs> well, so I'm just dreaming of Buffalo every day and I'm, uh, I'm running the same setup and I'm perfectly comfortable with it. So whenever that opportunity happens, I'm just going to walk onto the plane. Ready to go. There's no change. There's nothing to get used to. I can run my, my nine fifties out to 90 yards. Like uh, for practice, I have no issue with trajectory, but it's, it's perception. Mm -hmm. And it depends on how much bow you can handle. I mean, that's to Matt's point before, if you get someone that has never shot before and you get them settled into, you know, if they're shooting 40 pounds and you get them settled into a 500 grain setup, that's their normal. Yep. Right. They don't know. Now, as they build up strength and they say they move up poundage, now it's not out of question for them to go, well, I just bumped up 10 pounds. Like, what about a 600 grain arrow? And it won't mm-hmm. even feel like much of a difference. Whereas someone that's used to shooting five grains per pound and they're they're mentally used to that trajectory, it can be a little bit of a change, right? But it's all mental. Yeah, and once you accustom under- yourself to it, now that's the new normal and you're used to it. Where are you going to say, Garrett? No, oh, I've never understood that. Like the comment that, you know, heavy arrows aren't as accurate. They're still going where you're pointing them if you're not pointing them where they belong, aka <laughs> if you don't know your trajectory, then you will not be as accurate, but it's not the arrow's fault that you yeah. don't know your trajectory. You need to practice more. Yeah. Well, that's and, how that and works. And that's part of practice, right? I right. mean, part of my practice is if, so say, you know, with my compound, if I'll set my pin at 20 yards and I'll take random distance shots from 10 to 30. And then I'll set my pin to 30 and I'm going to do the same thing, you know, varying ranges because I, I want to know where that impact is going to be so that I'm prepared. Yeah. You know, that that's, and I guess from, from like a rifle background, Holdover is not something that I'm like is is uncommon to me. Yeah, it wasn't foreign to you. Yeah, yeah that 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 just seemed natural. Like, okay, if this is my zero, like, what's my holdover or hold under for this distance? And I that's where I started. Yeah. Well, yeah. Rob, I think that's actually a perfect thing to kind of talk about some of the other stuff. One of the number one things that we're getting right now is all shot placement argument. Yeah, never once. Have we argued that shot placement is important? Never once has the foundation or anybody else put that out. Agreed. It's always number one. You need to shoot that animal where it's going to be the most ethical, lethal, quickest kill. Well, and it's not on the list because it's assumed that you're going to do everything possible to make the best shot you can. Exactly. Yep. Like, why should that be on the list if, if, Who's going to intentionally take a poor shot? 
Well, that also goes back to one of the issues that we've got nowadays is the actual education on shop placement. Do oh, yeah. Or penetrating setups, we have continued in the industry, and I don't mean the foundation, but the industry has continued to teach, aim further and further back. And you're getting yeah. further and further out of those vitals to go ahead and try and use that whatever larger, expandable, et cetera, et cetera. And then we continue to get further back because that didn't get penetration there. So we start to get scared of where we actually need to shoot the animals. Well, and, and it's, it's kind of cyclical because the further back that the intended point of aim moves, the smaller the blood vessels, the larger the cut you need to have the same, you know, kind of blood trail exactly and then the larger the cut gets now we have more concern and so we move further back and now the blades get even bigger and so it's like all you can see doing- that you can see that cycle that happened in you know over the last 15 years oh yeah like you can you can see exactly how all of that like every year it just got like yeah I mean, a little further back a little bigger head a little further back a little bigger head and then just here we are well and that's <laughs> out of control uh, Troy Ranch Ferry just put out a video this last week that I I thought was phenomenal. He he was doing an autopsy on a, a pig that um, I forget who it was that shot it, but and he was showing like this is why we say that you want to shoot in that front lower third. Mm-hmm. Like look look at look at where the organs are. You've got lung, heart, lung, like. Why would you not aim at this? You've got all the arteries. You've got like everything that you want is right there. And yeah. if you miss a little high, it, it's going across the top of the valves. It's go, still going through both lungs. If you hit a little bit back, it's still both lungs. There's a reason why that is the preferred yeah. placement from a lethality standpoint. Yeah. It's the you golden triangle. It's called it's called the golden triangle for a reason. Put yeah, it there it, and, and it will die. <laughs> you just need to be confident in your equipment for if things don't go to plan. Yeah. Right. And, and that's the thing. Like, I mean, if you aim like exactly where you're supposed to on a deer, I feel like you realistically, you've got probably four inches of play in, uh, all the way around that you could miss. But if you aim back where a lot of these people like they think you should be shooting if you're off by you're one maybe the, two inches shoot it in the liver anyway if you're aiming yeah most people shoot. right exactly. yeah that's what i'm saying and if you shoot it if you're off by one to two inches then like you're toast man and and but that's i mean uh, you know one of the one of our the biggest fans of our show who may or may not be named after a uh, carpentry tool uh, uh <laughs> always t- t- likes to mention some hunts that he's been on where these huge mechanicals have have saved him from hitting a, a liver and i'm just like well, why why are you aiming that far back in the first place it doesn't make any sense and now, granted i don't i you know i know i don't fully understand the shot play, the shot presentation of of all of those but at the same time like i with with how uh how they feel about uh shooting at uh you know anywhere near uh bone or cartilage for that matter i i have a feeling that he was aiming pretty far back so I don't know. Just it blows my mind that we've we've come this far when you know what's funny. And and this is what actually like what I noticed when this is when I noticed that Americans don't know what we're talking about is when Adam Greentree, I think, Garrett, you may have posted or uh, pointed this out to me. 
Adam Greentree posted a video of a, or a picture, I think it was of a red stag, I think. And, and he shot it. I mean, 12 ring the heart. I mean, perfect, perfect shot. And half the comments on, on his Instagram post. Why'd you shoot it in the shoulder? Yeah. Yeah. Too, or too low or or too far forward. (laughs) And, and, and all the, all the Australians were like, no, that's where you aim. And all the Americans were like, what? No, that's way too far forward. And, and, and that's why I was like, oh, I get it now because we've, <laughs> we've been we've been brainwashed by the industry to not shoot there or at least Americans in general. So frustrating to say the least. Well, especially coming from an animal science background. I mean, anatomy physiology was my whole basis of my degree mm-hmm. or at least my first degree. It's we've gotten in a bad habit. and We need to start correcting it. Um, so it's just going to be a lot of work. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Yep. And and I know that this this whole, you know, the shot placement argument uh, uh, was kind of brought to light again with this. Uh, um, a, a gentleman did a study. I'm, I'm putting study in air quotes uh, or, or an experiment, I guess. Uh, and uh, in this experiment, he also shot into some ballistic gel. And, and Doc, I'd like to uh, pick your brain on this a little bit. Uh, I think uh, in his book, Jeremy Johnson specifically mentions having a conversation with you about why you can't use like and how you tested tons of different mediums to really see uh, um, uh, if there was anything that could accurately measure the amount of penetration potential you'll gain with a heavier arrow. And and you never really found anything. Uh, and uh, But people look at these ballistic gel tests and they see uh, either the lighter arrow penetrating more or the heavier arrow penetrating like a half inch more and they don't see the benefit of those heavier arrows. Can you talk for a second about kind of like why, why those, why that may be happening and, and why it doesn't, why these tests don't work the way that they should. There's a number of reasons that the tests don't really perform like they should. It, it's all depends on the medium that they're trying to use. Uh, a lot of the things that you see people shooting out there really just aren't aren't very applicable to shooting an animal. But there's a thing in physics called the slip stick phenomenon. And it has to do with uh, the friction between surfaces. And you've got a static mm. friction and you've got dynamic friction. And mm-hmm. dynamic friction is always somewhat less than the static friction. To try to put it in something that's easy to visualize, if you take a cardboard box and set it on the floor and you fill it full of stuff and get it pretty heavy and you start to push it, okay, when you push it slowly, it's very hard to push. The faster you push it, the easier it becomes to push because of the the uh, reduced friction. The coefficient of friction is changing. Higher speed. Goodness. Jake, did you just fall down some stairs? I don't know what happened. Negative. My wife got nice. <laughs> I'll say that, that drink's working. Oh, boy. Poor Emily. Sorry, Doc. Go ahead. When you've got a friction situation, what do we do to reduce that friction? We lubricate it. The, the body is mm. made up of at least 60% water, sometimes more than that. And once that broadhead starts cutting, you get tissue fluids released, you get blood released. And anybody that's tried to dress a, a deer with bloody hands 
and a slick handled knife knows how slippery blood is. So we're dealing mm-hmm. with a a blood suffused medium when we're shooting an animal. And none of these things, when people start shooting into other things, work the same. <clears throat> now, ballistic gel was designed to show hydrostatic cavitation from high-velocity objects. We're not mm-hmm. a high-velocity object. No air is. Unless you're going to get right. up, you know, eight or 900 feet per second, you're not going to see any cavitation created in ballistic gel. And it's not designed to show what a slow-moving object would do in there. So it right. doesn't work well at all. And I've tried uh, many times with ballistic gel. But you can't use wood or metal or cardboard. Nothing, I, wet lap. Everything I can think of, I've tried through the years. And you know, Car hoods. Car hoods don't work miraculously. <laughs> yeah. And it just doesn't, uh, doesn't correspond to the outcome you get when you shoot an animal. So it's basically, yeah. you've got, there's just no substitute for the correct medium to test it. Yeah. Well, and one other part is the actual energy transfer. Because, like, if, say, you are shooting ballistics gel, and you shoot a super light arrow, and the gel, the block itself isn't going to have much movement, right? But then you shoot it with, say, my setup, super heavy. Mm -hmm. Even if the penetration itself is similar in the gel, that gel is going to be moving. And, like, you can see this on, on standard targets even, where you get similar penetration between very different weight arrows but the heavy arrow is literally moving and knocking that target around because as that target is catching it and applying compression, that inertia from the, from the mass still is trying to move. Even if that target is grabbing the shaft itself. And now the target is moving instead of the shaft. The energy is neither created or destroyed. It's going to be there. Mm-hmm. Some mm-hmm. of it's going to be put into the movement of what's hit. So, yes, you're going to get a bigger movement with that heavier arrow. But when they start looking at how much penetration you got, this slipstick effect comes into play. And because that arrow yeah. is moving faster, it has a lower coefficient of friction than the slower moving arrow. But if you put mm-hmm. it into yep. that lubricated environment that we have with tissues, this no longer holds true. And that's the other part that you just made me think of is, I mean, pretty much any test medium is stopping an arrow through compressive force, right? You're spreading the material apart. There's going to be a compressive force on the shaft providing that friction. And, and the very, the very rip resistance penetration itself. Yep. So if you've got two identical size shafts, the pressure generated by the target is going to be the same. If you've got very different speeds because of mass, you've got the same pressure, which means that it's going to be stopping in about the same time frame. But if you've got one arrow that's traveling, say, 260 feet per second and another that's traveling 220, 
the distance traveled in that time period is going to be different. Yes, but you right? also have a resistance so, factor yeah. in there that as you yeah. increase the velocity, the resistance goes up. Yeah. Yep. And so, I mean, I was just saying that it, it all kind of plays together that there's multiple factors yeah. as to why those tests aren't really relevant to an animal. That's right. If, if you want to hunt cars, go out and practice shooting car doors. I'll give you a good idea. <laughs> save the bricks, as Troy would say. Yeah, save the bricks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So something I want to touch on uh, and and try and get the uh, a bit from each of you guys uh, uh, with ABF, if I could, is how right now, especially right now with uh, with the wave that the hunting public has has created, uh, there's a lot of people who I think uh, that are on both sides of this. Um, uh, uh, what's what's the word I'm looking for? I don't know if catalyst is the right word, but there's a lot of people that they're seeing what the hunting public is doing and they have the best intentions, but then they just they go out and they buy uh, a, a heavier arrow and a heavier broadhead and they just throw it in their boat they are, that they already have and they shoot it and there's like nothing else and, and they're like, oh, I'm shooting 700 grains. Like everything's good to go now. Uh, but uh, uh, what we're seeing a lot is the first two the two most important parts of the 12 penetration enhancing factors are just getting blown by. And especially the, the second part, a lot of people are focused on structural integrity, which is good. And, and I'm, and I'm very happy about that, but a lot of people are just blowing by arrow flight. And, and I don't know exactly why that's happening. Well, I mean, I, I, like I said, I think people aren't, I don't think they're doing it intentionally. I think a lot of people have never have never had good arrow flight ever, even when they were shooting 350 yeah. grain arrows. So they don't know what good arrow flight looks like. Uh, yeah. And I'll, I'll be the first person to say, like, I mean, I've I've tuned bows and I've had good arrow flight, but then when I went down and had Evan tune my bow and I was shooting at 55 to 60 yards bare shaft, and like it literally looked like a dart the entire way. Evan literally turned to me and said, "You ever had arrow flight like that?" And I said. Nope. <laughs> and that's when I like, it really clicked. Like this is, this is good arrow flight. And, and I don't, I don't know exactly why we're blowing past arrow flight because, uh, you know, if, if you don't enter the target perpendicular, or at least with, you know, with everything lined up, all your energy is dissipated. The second it hits, it hits the animal. If everything's crooked, no, well, it, it won't, it won't matter. Losing efficiency. Right. Oh, most definitely. Yeah. Depending on, on how far out of square it is, I guess you could say. Uh, um, but do we, do we have any thoughts as to, to why that might be or, or to, uh, how, how we can fix that and, and just really try and reinforce the arrow flight is so, so important. Well, a lot of it's just because for you know, all the time I've been bow hunting, I mean, you go back 60 years, what did people do? Okay. Here's the chart. This is my draw link. This is my pound. Mm -hmm. the air I shoot. Put enough feathers on it. You can't see it mask anything that's wrong with the flight. They go shoot it. Right. Been doing that for yep. decades. They just don't have a concept of what good air flight is. Yeah. That's a lot of it is perception. You know, you, you only know what you know. And especially like looking at more modern stuff, the, the, prevalence of mechanicals has lulled a lot of people into a false sense of security 
mm-hmm. when it comes to Aeroflight and what is actually tuned. Um, I mean, and that's even a lot of our so-called experts at the shops where, you know, oh, yeah, you've got a, a clean flat shaft through paper at three yards. You're tuned. But then they go and shoot broadheads and they're not hitting with field points. And for years that was, oh, well, fixed blades just can't fly like field points. Now people are finally starting to realize that, oh, that's a tuning problem. Like my arrow is not leaving the bow square and that's causing the deviations in flight. But there's an awakening that has to happen where people actually realize that what they thought was tuned isn't. Yeah. And uh, I know, I mean, speaking on bow tuning, I think there is, and I'll be the first person to tell you, I don't, I don't know. I don't know crap. Well, I don't want to say I don't know crap. I know a little bit, but there's a lot of questions that I have when it comes to tuning. And I turn to Rob and Garrett when I'm, when I'm asking these bow tuning questions, because I I certainly don't have all the answers and I know that I don't have all the answers, but surrounding myself around these people who know more than I do is certainly rubbing off on me and it's, and it's helping and I'm, I'm able to help others. Uh, but, uh, on that note, uh, 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 Rob Nielsen, uh, uh, I, I won't, I won't say who it is, uh, but I believe that there's going to be some, uh, tuning videos, uh, that's going to be put out, uh, for the ABF. Is that, uh, is that right? That is accurate. And I've been discussing it with this, uh, gentleman and uh, several gentlemen and they're working on it. And, uh, and actually I owe him a call or, text or something so I'm, I'm a little bit i'm a little bit behind but i do i do owe him a, a follow-up that's all right that's all right but yeah i've uh I, i've been lucky i've been lucky enough to see a couple of the videos that are being put out and it's very high quality and it's very easy to follow and easy to understand yeah. so yes, uh, excited excited for that to be put out to the public yeah that is going to be a, a huge benefit once that's all wrapped up and and out yeah, and I've I've asked uh, I want basically before we put our stamp on it I want Jake uh, Todd myself uh, basically the whole foundation to look at it and then uh, say yes and we're good to go. Yeah. So, uh, but from what I've seen the the few I've seen he, he's done a really good job and uh, just a very thorough job. I mean, covering everything from A to Z, and yeah. uh, and that, I think that'll help a lot of the uh, a lot of the questions that are out there right now. Yeah. 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 Well, man, you thought his videos before were thorough. Whew, just, <laughs> just wait. Yeah. These, these n- new ones are pretty, uh, pretty in depth to say the least. Uh, yeah. but, but easy, easy to follow and easy to understand. Like it's, yeah. it's a really weird mix because like, I'm a person that, that like, I love to dive into something that I don't like fully understand. And like, it's going to take me a while to unwrap it. But when I was done watching these videos that they sent me, I was like, I understood everything about that from beginning to end. And I don't like, I, I don't claim to be like a tuning master by any means. So very, uh, very excited for that stuff to come yeah. out. That's- well, I'm certainly no tuning master either. I always go to my uh, main mechanics, bow mechanics right here in, in spring. I'm, I'm very fortunate. I've got probably some of the best in this region right around the corner from me. So yeah. And, and I've learned a lot from those guys. 
Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, so and that's the, one thing to point out is not everyone needs to be an expert at tuning. Absolutely everyone, not. everyone needs to find their expert. There's a difference. Yeah. Yeah, so absolutely. Find someone that you trust. Find someone that actually knows what, you know, what the reactions are, are telling them and isn't that's probably the biggest thing that I struggle with with a lot of my customers is they'll get a new setup that I know is spined well it it I know that if the bow's set up it's going to fly like a dart and yeah. they're like my 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 shop is telling me that you know this left tear that they can't get out is because I'm I'm too stiff uh, no like you got a misalignment like he, he needs to fix the bow <laughs> yeah. yeah and it's like when shops are telling guys that oh yep oh it's because you you've got a 200 grain point on the front like what are you doing you expect that to fly oh yeah you know, I, any anytime i walk into a shop with my arrows they literally look at me like i have three heads <laughs> like the, and, and all the time and what's funny is these are just like what i would consider my north american arrows they're you know between 550 600 grains give or take and in all the number one comment I get, you're going to go hunt uh elephant with that. You, you know, you hunting Buffalo. Like, no, nope, like, that's, that's the 1250s that yeah, I've got in the car. That's, and, and but it just, <laughs> what's, what's really funny is back, this is back when I had my Maverick too. never should have sold it. RIP. Uh, I, I'm dude, <laughs> I am, I'm still bitter about it. That, that almost uh, sounds like a shameless plug and you're hoping they send you one. Oh no 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 no! They 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 won't. I've 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 talked with the guys at Dart and they're they're nice, but they aren't sending me anything. Hey, I'm uh, only picking on But uh, um, I shot. I think it was a six hundred. It was a six hundred and sixty grain TDT. It was two forty, and uh, I shot it through a chrono, and it was like two almost two sixty, like pretty way faster than what people assumed it was going to be. And the shop owner, when when I shot it through it, he was like geez, that thing is moving. I was like, yeah, man, like adding another 150, 200 grains, like doesn't slow it down that much. And, and it's just, it's crazy. People think that you're literally throwing a, a slug out of the bow, but really, I mean, it's, it's not, it's not that big of a deal. It really isn't. And, and especially, you know, I'm just trying to get these guys that are shooting 400 to 500 grains, like, man, just bump it up a hundred grains and man, you're going to be in a way better spot, way, way better spot. Well, and, Go ahead. A big part of that is the majority of, of calculators that are available online. Yeah. These yeah. guys the... put, they start punching numbers into these calculators. And it's like, if you put my setup in there, it's going to tell you the arrow's going backwards. <laughs> yeah. Like, and it's because it's looking at a static speed loss, which is not accurate at all. Yeah. No, it's definitely not. Heck, you look at um, the twenty four hundred and fifty arrow that we built. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Time. Emily's bow is shooting four hundred and thirty five feet per second in reverse. I be a, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which is comical because it's shooting like one hundred fifteen or one hundred twenty feet per second forward. Yeah. yeah. I think out of my eighty five pounds uh, dangerous game bow. It's estimating 365 feet per second in reverse. My IBO <laughs> isn't even 365. Yeah. 
Uh, I always, uh, I was going to make a YouTube video, but then, you know, life happened on, uh, I was going to name it. I think I've mentioned this before, but I was going to name it my, my 390, uh, feet per second IBO Darton. Because if you, when I shot my 900 ish grain arrow, and I think it was like 205, 206, something like that. If you did the calculations backwards and like just continued to bump up the IBO of the bow in those calculators until you hit the right speed, it was like a 392 uh, feet per second IBO. So I was going to post that for some clickbait material, but I didn't. Maybe I will well, someday. Like 100% shameless plug. If you've got friends that are debating and are wanting to know fairly accurate numbers, go on my website, use the calculator that I built. I don't even care if you even look at the rest of the site. Most people don't. But get accurate information. Yep. Yeah. Make a, make an accurate assumption of, you know, of what you, what you could end up doing. And I think when people use your calculator correctly, I don't think I've seen one that's been off by more than like three to four feet per second, which is. And and that's typically, yeah, typically depending on small variations, it's within a couple of feet per second of real world. And the only time that it's not is when the Bose IBO is way off. And which we know happens. Yeah. Um, But if you follow the instructions and you calibrate it with a lighter arrow to fine tune the the real world IBO value, then it then it's back to within that three foot per second range. Right. So uh, I want to kind of just springboard off of this part of the discussion with talking about, you know, various arrow weights and, and stuff like that. Um. Since this has gained more notoriety, uh, and I'm going to continue to credit the hunting public with this, uh, is there's a, been a lot of people, uh, I, I don't want to say that like people like myself and Rob and Garrett are the old guard, because we certainly aren't, but in the in the new world, uh, I, I guess people people look at, at people like us as people as, you know, a crew that's been doing it for a minute, which isn't wrong, but we're certainly not uh, not the old guard, if you ask me, but there's there's a lot of division within the community like there's the heavier arrow better better arrow good broadhead quality broadhead community that it's just weird how how we're breaking into all of these little camps and and sections and and I, I kind of wanted to get the uh, uh, the ABF response to that and because I find it I find it ridiculous when guys are like oh well if you're uh, if you're not shooting over 650 grains, you're wrong. Or if you aren't shooting a three to one, you're wrong. I think there's there's a lot of ways that we can continue to improve our arrow setups. And 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 we need to understand that every individual is at a different part in their journey. Uh, you know, I, I certainly didn't, didn't go from a 350 grain IBO weight arrow to a 650 grain, you know, three to one mechanical 25% front of center arrow overnight. It took me a while to get there. Uh, but, but I think there's just, there's a lot of division and and hostility, uh, even within the community. And, and I think that if the, if the ABF told people to knock it off, it might, uh, it might be helpful. (laughs) (laughs) I'll I'll let let Rob and Ed go first and I'll chime in at the end. Okay. (laughs) I mean, I'm granted, I'm not on these, uh, YouTube things and, uh, the, uh, the Facebooks and all that. I don't do social media, uh don't care about it. Um, but 
you know, I hear a lot of this. Uh, I've had some of the stuff sent to me, and and I think it's nonsense. I mean, I will talk to anybody. I've had some manufacturers call me, and I've had civil discussions with them, and uh, they were like, "Well, I don't agree with you." I'm like, "Well, okay, that's fine. You don't agree with me. Uh, where's your data? I mean, I'll be glad to put it alongside what we've got." And uh, show me where we're wrong. I mean, we're not saying we're 100% right. I mean, if you've got something that shows where we're wrong, hey, we'll admit we're wrong and go forward and uh, and tell the whole world we're wrong. We're we're not perfect, but, uh, you know, I guarantee the data that we've got uh, based off of doc studies and then all the data, it's like 45 years of information that we've got uh, of research and data points. So please, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm all for open dialogue and discussion, but uh, I'm not, uh, I mean, hostile. If someone wants to call me and talk to me about something, hey, I'm, I'm all ears. So I, I see no reason to be hostile to anybody. We've got enough of that going on between the uh, liberals and Republicans. So, <laughs> so that's my take. Okay. Okay. Doc, anything you want to add? Well, Rob, you got the right idea there. You know, I always, when I did presentations, tried to get across to people that that whole set of 12 things that will improve their air penetration is a toolbox. Anything they do mm. to improve exactly. that error setup is a step in the right direction. Never told you yep. how to use all of them. Just pick what you can use and use it. And as you find you need right. more or see a reason for using more, add the others to it. You know, it's not something yep. where you have to jump in a whole hog and this is what you got to use or you're wrong. You know, I didn't always use stuff like that. I didn't know. <laughs> there was no information yeah. Yeah. out there. Yep. Yeah, well, I mean, even so a good example for, for me anyway, or a, a way that I like to look at it is is a grizzly stick, right? Grizzly stick, you know, they, they basically created their aero system around the 12 penetration enhancing factors. But if you look at grizzly sticks broadheads, they only sell one and maybe two, if you want to count the samurai that are like a three to one style profile. The, and, and if you were to, you know, to, you know, take it, take it all the way to the bank uh, and just, and only use the 12 penetration enhancing factors, that's the only one that you would use, but grizzly stick. And along with a lot of other people understand that, you know, that there's, there's different tools in the toolbox, like you said, doc, and, and, you know, the broadheads like, the double XL silver flame is, you know, if, if you're like Rob and you're shooting a, a 900 grain arrow, 950 grain arrow with an 80 pound bow and a 30 inch draw, you may not need a three to one, uh, profile to get Thompson through white tail. Right. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. <laughs> you launch a set of those. Those things are awesome. <laughs> so yeah, for those wondering, you can uh, you can get a Thompson Tomahawk from uh, Danger Close, and it'll be what, it's a 950 with an XXL on the front. It's 950 total arrow weight built around a 200 grain silver flame XXL. Yeah, pretty pretty yep. slick stuff. But point being, you know, I, I think that there's uh, there's too much of this uh, camp mentality of you know if you aren't using this, you're wrong, or if you aren't doing it this way, you're wrong. Uh, and, and I think now granted, uh, to preface that there are certain things most definitely, especially in the tuning world, where if you're doing something a certain way, you are wrong and you are not doing it correctly. However, when it comes to picking parts of the 12 penetration enhancement factors, 
any, like what Doc said, any part of it is going to help you in the long run. And, you know, and, and and he, and, and, you know, it's, it's numbered the way it is to, to show importance. Uh, but you know, at the same time, like, man, if somebody, you know, hits one through four and then, you know, they don't hit the next couple and then, and then they're picking up on, on the last couple at the end, then good for them. Like they're doing better than the, 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 the whole where I'm getting at, I guess, is if anyone is even considering the 12 penetration enhancement factors and they're using even parts of it, I would say that they are better off with their arrow setup than 95 to 98% of the hunters that are hitting the woods. And, well, and I can't, I can't ask for a ton more than that. And, and this is something that I know I've said on here before. I've, I've had lengthy conversations with Jake about this improvements, improvement. Like, yeah, wherever you're starting, whatever your current setup is, whatever that starting point is, use the 12 factors as an evaluation tool and a way to look at how to improve as well as how to gauge the way that you hunt. Yeah. So in my mind, one and two are concrete. I don't care yeah. what setup you're using. No one is going to argue that you want a weaker setup that's going to break. No one should be arguing that your flight should be less than ideal. From there, it's a sliding scale. It's, hey, if you can increase your front of center, here's the benefit. If you start increasing your broadhead efficiency, here's the benefit. If you start increasing your mass, here's the benefit. There is no hard, you must do this and this and this. It's all an evaluation tool. Yeah. Well, like, it goes back to recommendations versus must. And exactly. that's what we definitely have a misunderstanding with right now. So a couple <laughs> things that usually lead to this or that I see leading to this is for one, a lack of actual reading comprehension. Yes. People need to read and pay attention to what is actually being said. Not what they think is being said. What is being said? Not only that, they need to start listening to listen, formulate a response, and then respond. Instead, they're hopping on this whole emotional bandwagon of, I listen to respond to try and re- go ahead and argue a statement or argue something about it because I don't like the way they are. If we just stop, sit back and actually pay attention to what is being said, never once, and please, Doc and Rob, correct me if I'm wrong, never once have has the foundation ever said we have to, sh- or you have to shoot a 650 grain setup? Never once has anybody said, Hey, you've got to go through and be above this percentage. All we've done is focus on education and putting the actual information and facts out there. We are a conservation ed- education nonprofit organization. Here's the information. What you do with it is up to you. But we exactly. got to stop arguing and we got to start listening and understanding that your opinion does not outweigh facts. And then also, I know you guys did a whole episode on it, but Dunning Kruger and those who constantly think they're right, just stop and listen to people, see what's going on. Yeah. It goes back to that favorable trajectory. What is favorable trajectory? I don't know. That's up to you. 
For me, I'm able to shoot out to 80 yards with a 950 grain setup, no problem. For them, they might not find that satisfactory. Understand that if you give up certain factors, you also increase risk in certain other areas. Understand it's a give and take, know that, and then press and move on from there. Don't make any rash decisions. Don't try and get through certain parts of an animal or take bad shots when your system isn't capable. Yeah. Well, and that's one where your good shots, your your high percentage shots potentially change depending on the setup. Very much so. If you look at just rifles, you can take a different shot angle. I'm not saying bad shot placement. I'm saying different angles, still aiming at the vitals. You can take a different one with a 500 nitro and a solid than you can with a 22 long rifle. Yeah. Go through and know what your equipment can do. Know what's logical. Know what's smart. There is not a point where we condone unethical behavior, unethical things. Yeah, absolutely. And you talk about these devices, Jake, you're dead on on everything. And I mean, you're not going to hear the foundation screaming and shouting at people uh, out there. So that's not what we do. So somebody else might, but we're not. Yeah. Yeah. I I think that's uh, that's an important important distinction is, you know, the people who may uh, and, and, and people please like check, you know, my people like myself and Rob and Garrett on this, like, you know, we, we, we may talk about this and, and we may make certain recommendations and, and, you know, say certain things, but we're not the ABF. So don't like, don't, don't take what we're saying as, as, you know, the, uh, the word of the ABF where, you know, we, uh, myself and Garrett and Rob all kind of have our own, you know, tendencies and biases and, and stuff that we like and things that we don't. And, uh, and you have to take that into account with with any individual that you talk to. An individual is 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 completely different than an organization or you know the representation anyway. Well, and anything that that we recommend is just that a recommendation. It's not saying that you have to do that. I mean, when I'm working with my my customers and my clients, my recommendation is I don't care what bow you're running, I don't care what draw weight you have. I'm going to at least talk to you about getting into something around 500 grains. Yeah. That's my starting point for recommendations. If you're not comfortable there, then we move down. But that's that's, my starting point personally. Yeah. Yeah. And when we do our uh, workshops with TPWD, I mean, it's basically here are the recommendations, here are the factors, and here are our recommendations, and we go through this. We're, and we basically clarify to these uh, hunter ed instructors and anyone else that's out of the general public sitting in these workshops, you know, we're not telling you you have to do this. This is information exactly. that will help you, and it yeah. will help ultimately put that animal on the ground quicker. Yeah. Garrett, it sounded like you had something to say. And then Doc, a, a, a while back, I, I know you were, yeah, it sounded like you had a couple of cents to throw in there. So Garrett, what, what did you want to say on, on this topic? Oh, I was just going to say that, you know, when we do, like if Rob makes a recommendation, hopefully their response is, oh, well, I already do that. Right. Yeah. yeah well, and that's even if they don't, if I recommend, you know, if it's someone that's never shot a, a better setup, 
and they're going, you know, whatever they're hunting, whitetail or elk or whatever. And I go, hey, you know, for me, I'd be looking to do this and have you in the low 500s. And they go, oh, no, like, I, I'm not ready for that. Like, okay, like, whatever, like, here, let's do a test pack. You shoot some different weights. You tell me the weight. And I'm going to help you maximize that weight with the best FOC that we can get and everything else. Right. Right. Yeah. The, the person has to make the decision as to where they're comfortable. And then from that point, you maximize you go, okay, hey, that's where you're at. Let's make the most of it. Um, I, I know Rob and, and Jay, you guys had kind of put together uh, a couple other things you may have uh, wanted to touch on. Was there was there anything that kind of related to to this that that you wanted to continue to talk about while we're while we're here? I guess. Uh, I think we did a pretty good job of covering the whole cognitive distortions and we need to do a better job listening to each other. We got to stop infighting. We got to understand that even a majority of the pros that are arguing against this still have at least six or seven of these factors taken into consideration, whether yeah. they realize it or not. Yeah. Um, shot placement is definitely one that we already covered. Um, we covered recommendations versus you have to. I think one of the other big misconceptions is we sit there and talk about overkill. Yep. Mm. And that's one that is definitely, definitely interesting. So the overkill that comments that I've seen are usually based around people with a misconception. And I think it's more like the rifle hunter, whether or not you have a heavy arrow going through an animal or a light arrow that manages to go through an animal. With the same broadhead, same profile, same everything else, you're not destroying any more meat. You're yeah. killing that animal in a completely different manner. It is not via hydrostatic shock, extreme cavitation, et cetera, et cetera, to it. You're talking about hemorrhagic shock. So it all falls back down to that personal preference. But I know I've done the same thing Rob has. I spent two years plus shooting everything that I could in North America. Um, I don't even remember. I think one year alone was 37 big game animals with that 950 grain setup. And it looked very similar to that 650 grain setup as far as damage to the inside. Cause I was using the same broadheads, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I increased my capabilities and that gets back into that lethal or lethality into the world and ethical into the world. There's a lot more shots that I can take because of the setup that I've got and a lot more angles that I can ethically take without any question whatsoever. Well, and because of the time you spent with it, you're that much more familiar with the trajectory and what different yardages mean and that makes you better prepared to put a better shot, regardless of the situation. Very, very much so. And it just comes down to, it falls back into that personal preference. That is where that I fell. And a lot of it was forcing myself to get used to that due to me getting ready for a Cape Buffalo hunt. And there's a lot of people out there, it goes back to the weight argument. Oh, well, I've done it with a 650 or I've done it with a 720. Okay. 
I lost a 1800 pound bowl, um, due to a poor arrow selection going to light. And that's where 950 grains, do you absolutely need that much? No, it's got a hundred percent success rate. So it's kind of hard to argue with it at that point. But well, and, and that kind of no, yeah, and that kind of ties back to like, I mean, do we need 950 for Buffalo? No, you don't, but with the kind of bows that we shoot, is it a detriment to us to give ourselves some extra padding? Yeah, right. I mean, when I can. On, I know a lot of our listeners are familiar with this. I run a fast eddy double pin. Yep. I have an 80-30 bow. So, yes, I'm higher poundage. I have a longer draw length. But I also set up four heavy arrows. So I have the dovetail. I have the sight moved in to tighten up my gaps. I have a natural low anchor, so my peep's higher. And so... All of that combined with that sight plays into my sight picture and how my pins lay out. And I can set my top pin at 20. My second pin is at 32, 33. And it's the same distance to the bubble, which is then at like 41. That is like that's very similar to anyone running a three pin setup. And I've only got the single post. I don't have all the extra clutter, but I'm, I can do that with a 950 grain arrow. Yep. And I have very clear reference points. I can run without moving my pin at all to 40 yards without any question. I know everything in between there. And that's so if I can do that with a 950 grain arrow, what's the downside for me? And this is just me personally. It's not anyone else. But what's the benefit for me going to, say, a a 750 grain arrow for a buffalo? I'm going to. You know, maybe the top of my bubble is now 50 yards, but I'm if I have a 50 yard shot, I'm expecting that I can probably move my pin. Yeah. yeah and that's one of the other things. So there's this really weird, common misconception. And they're like, oh, we need to get out there fast because the trajectory is too great after 35 yards. Yeah. All right. I and Robin, Ed, please back me up if. Well, let me know if you disagree. I've been doing this a little bit. And if my animal is 40 yards or greater and presenting me the perfect shot, or I decided that I need to get ready to take that shot, and I'm going to take that shot at that distance, I have time to range it. Yes. If I don't have time to range it when it's outside my very, very comfortable uh, estimation of yardage, then I probably shouldn't be taking that shot. Right. Exactly. And 
So for these guys that are like, yeah, but you know, you need to move fast. You might have a 70 yard snapshot. I'm like, if you're doing a 70 yard snapshot, I mean, this is about as smart as people putting scent block on when they're using a rifle at 700 meters on an elk. You can stand up and blaze orange and slam two pots together and probably still not spook that animal. Let's think about what we're actually doing. And then that leads into the whole can versus can't or can versus will. Yep. And, and that's what I was going to bring up next was can versus will, right? Yeah. Well, b- before, before we hop into that, while we're, while we're talking about uh, pins and pin gaps, uh, there's a guy here on uh, that's that's recording with us that never used those. Uh, uh, and I, I kind of, kind of want to get, uh, uh, his, his take on, on, you know, maybe some of the common misconceptions. So doc, doc, what's, what's a, like, what's something that you've, uh, that, that you feel like you've had to constantly fight over the years, maybe, maybe a common misconception or something like that, or something that's, that's taken out of context that, you know, I'll, I'll give you, uh, give you some time to, to air your grievance per se, if you, if you want to do that or, or to clear the air. Well, a lot of it was just, uh, there was a lot of tremendous resistance from industry that kept sure. kept me from getting data out there. I couldn't get anything published in the United States. It's published all over the world before it's published here. And literally, it came down, they're putting the dollar first before the hunter and his success and, and what's going to happen to the animals. Uh Mm. And some of them got pretty nasty about stuff they said. <laughs> I always went the same, same as Rob's approach is show me your data. Some of them would claim that we've got the data. You know, what you're saying is not true. We've done our own testing. And we'll show me the data. And I'm happy to look at it. And if you're right, you're right. No one's ever showed me the data yet. So that's, right. that's been one of my big grievances. And, and another thing, just what you were discussing on, uh, is shooting distances. You know, and everybody concentrates on these long shots now. Bow hunting is a close, personal sport. You know, I didn't mm-hmm. track all my animals all my life. But the last 25 years of my bow hunting, you know, when I was, knew I was going to be starting to do the Nepal study, uh, I started tracking all my animal kills. And I've got 627 animals in there. And the average shooting distance is 15.97 yards. Most people don't hmm. kill animals these long distances. If they'll actually measure the distance they kill their game at and write it down, they'll be surprised that very rarely you need these long shots. Now, that's a yep. really big thing that's been pushed in in the literature. And so forth is, uh, if you're going to shoot elk, you need to be able to shoot 70 yards. I've shot elk. I've shot caribou, open country animals. Uh, a lot of open country animals in Africa. Never had to shoot these kind of distances. Uh, it's yeah, you know, they're forgetting the hunting part of it. You know, if I've got to shoot yeah. that kind of distance, yeah. I'm going to carry my rifle. You know, if I have yeah. meat on the ground, I got to have meat. I'm going to carry my rifle. I'm out there to have fun. To me, a lot of the fun is the skill it takes to get close to that animal. And yeah. that's what a lot yeah. of people are missing. I don't think they know the thrill of stalking into an animal at five or six yards. And him not even know you were there, and then harvest that animal. That's the thrill that you've hard to past. Yeah, 
Well, I think that's, uh, I mean, I think that's kind of a lost art. And and I think that um, luckily in, in kind of a roundabout way, it might be starting to come back because of the recent like trad renaissance that's kind of going on. And, mm-hmm. and a lot of these kids that are realizing like, man, like shooting a deer at 10 yards is really cool. Uh, uh, but just to like, to kind of add on to what Doc was talking about, uh, Shane Simpson's, the uh, Cali Chronicles, uh, data, yeah. uh, his, I think I'm, I'm pretty sure his average shot distance was like 22 yards. And, and, and it's, it's really interesting that, you know, that's the average shot distance and that's the average shot distance that a tracker was called for, yeah. uh, which I mean, like if, if I line up at, at 20 yards, on a, a 3D target, uh, uh, spots, anything like that. Like, and and you said, okay, Matt. Like, all you have to do is hit this six to eight inch circle. Like, that's a slam dunk. And and most most bow hunters would be like, like that's that's easy. It's not a big deal. But apparently, it's not easy for a lot of people. And and I think especially if you're calling trackers at, at an average of 20 to 22 yards, then a lot most of these people have zero business trying to shoot game at 40, 50, 60, 70 yards. Now, I'm not saying that there are are people that, you know, that you shouldn't do that because there are exceptional shooters and there are guys that practice a lot to to be able to pull that off, uh, you know, when when the time call, comes for it. But man, it's it's frustrating. But but speaking of tracking, uh, I think that's another I mean, you want to talk about a lost art. Holy cow. I don't think yeah. anyone knows how to track There's anymore. Certainly- and I, I I'm certainly I'm certainly not a, a tracking guru, but Doc, I'd love to uh, get some uh, tips from you about about tracking animals, especially maybe if it's a, a blood trail that's that's not uh, not super good, or and and if it's in like thicker cover or anything like that. I'd, I'd love to get your your knowledge on that. But you said the magic word in there. That's blood trail. That's what people have come to believe tracking is is following a blood trail, mm. and it's not. It's all the sign that the animal left. Yeah. A really good tracker, like some of the African trackers are just phenomenal. It oh, more they're incredible. Minimal than it is anything else. They, they're looking at what sign they can see, but from that, they're drawing a conclusion as to what the animal is doing and what kind of condition the animal is in, and then putting themselves in that position. So they're using this information to think, what's that animal most likely to do from here? And that gives them a, a start to go from where to look for the next sign. Hmm. You know, blood trailing, uh, as a matter of fact, uh, I was shot with a rifle at a barbary sheep shot last weekend here. Uh, I was shot it, and it went 200 yards. Not one single drop of blood. None. Wow. The shot was ended up being too far back, hit right at the diaphragm. Yeah, but there was absolutely not a single drop of blood right up to where the animal was laid. Now it was full of blood inside, of course. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I shot. You know, you I... have to you have to follow that trail and you look. Okay, here here is a drop of blood. Now what? It's just not a drop of blood. Let's mark and go find the next drop of blood. What does that drop of blood tell me? Is it to the right of the track? Right. To the left of the track? Is it between his feet? Is it way off to the side like it was slung from him? You know, is it splattered when it hit? Or did it drop right straight down? You know, is it in his footprint? Is it running down his leg? All these things can tell you something about where the head is. 
if it rubs off on a bush, how high was it? This gives you a vertical location of your head. You know, all these things tell you something. You watch what the animal's doing. The animal starts, you know, they'll run wildly at, at the shot, particularly with a rifle. Sometimes with an arrow, if you do it right, they don't even know they've been shot. But they'll, yeah. they'll run wildly. But once they settle down, if they keep moving away, they're going back to their normal travel patterns. They're going to get on a game trail. They're going to follow that trail. If for some reason they start going off of that trail, they've got a reason. And it's your job to figure out, okay, he's leading this well-established travel trail. Has he lost enough blood? He's not thinking clearly now. You know, is he getting ready to go somewhere and lay down? Is he feeling uncomfortable? And and you yeah. know a little bit about animal habits. Uh, most of the time, if an animal has to lay down or decides to lay down or decides to ambush if you escape buffalo, they do a little button move. <laughs> they will turn and make this button hook shape and bed down there. And if they want the wind, if you're following their track, blowing from you to them, because they don't know that you can't smell yeah. them just like they can smell you. So they're right, there right. where they will see you coming and you won't be able to smell them. So that's the direction you look for the animal to turn. So you have to watch what the wind patterns are. But when he's just traveling, he's going to be going into that wind once he's settled down. Because he wants to know what's up ahead before he walks into danger. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you have to put the mental aspect into the tracking. And that's totally lost today. Uh, nobody, like I said, they go blood, blood drop to blood drop. Uh, a big part of that is, especially with a lot of the large mechanicals that have been prevalent on the market, a lot of guys equate the, the point of impact to the actual blood trail. Where, you know, in most cases, if you've got a longer track, You've got that initial spike of adrenaline and spike in the heart rate that'll cause some kind of spray. And then it's going to be at least, say, 50 yards before your actual blood trail really starts. That's very common, 40, 50 yards for the first blood. Right. And... The other part that a lot of people don't think about is your shot placement. So, like, if if I make a great shot and I and I take out the heart, I just took out the pump. Blood pressure is gonna significantly drop. There's gonna be a very little. Now, what's pushing that blood out of the animal? It's gravity. So. It's like you can make the best shot in the world and you might not have a ton of blood on the ground. Yeah. And at least in my opinion, that's where mechanical advantage of the head really comes into play because if you've got an efficient head, you have less felt impact, less shock at impact. Absolutely. Less heart rate jump, less adrenaline. And so now instead of this animal sprinting, for say, you know, say five seconds. Now it might walk five seconds. What's the distance difference in five <laughs> seconds of walking versus sprinting? Yeah. 
Yeah, if it's an elk, uh, yeah, a mile, right? What I mean, damn that, if it's an elk, that plays a huge role in the tracking. Is if you can, if you can have a a, a minimal felt impact, your track is right off the bat going to be shorter. It is, and. Even if there isn't a big trail, it it shouldn't be a difficult track. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Especially if a big animal, you would think. Now, when we were talking if about the, especially, shot angles and so forth, with those arrow setups, if you're shooting 950 grains in a high mechanical advantage hit on standard size game, you, you can break the shoulders down just like you would a rifle. They drop in the track. Yeah. There is no tracking job. He's laying right there. <laughs> yeah, most that's definitely. Kinda... And, and that that's why a lot of these times, especially from, you know, the, the YouTube guys, because uh, most of the YouTube guys I, I seem to be tree hunters, uh, at least for us Midwesterners, I guess. But, uh, you know, you'll see these blood trails from uh, guys that are shooting out of tree stands that, uh, you know, Stevie Wonder could follow. Uh, and a lot of it has to do with that uh, angle because, I mean, the the arrow is exiting at the bottom of the chest, so there is no there is no pooling up of blood. It's it's leaving the body cavity instantly, uh, uh, and you know that's. But then you get guys that are shooting out blinds and they wonder why they you know they don't they didn't have any blood, uh, and you know they shot you know top top third uh you know clip the lungs but the whole body cavity has to fill up before uh any any blood starts poking out and that's you know just lends more credence to what doc said you know that tracking isn't just uh you know looking for blood at this uh, you know it, it, it never has been but that's people have completely lost focus of of tracking thinking it's only looking for blood when it's you know a lot it's it's so much much more than that but we talk about the front of arrows a lot, and I mean they are they're certainly uh, important. Structural integrity well, is very important. Before um, before you move on, Matt. Okay. Yeah. That's one, I guess, additional thing to point out with tracking is, um, especially for the male population, color blindness isn't is an issue. Very common. So very common. Myself. Yep. I don't see blood. Yeah. Like if I want to see blood consistently, it's got to be after dark and I'm going to be using a flashlight and I'm looking for shine. Because I am not going to pick red out of green. Mm-hmm. And so that's where I I did not grow up hunting. I did not grow up following, you know, tracks with my father. And so I had to teach myself how to track and basically track off of physical trails, you know, looking at actual, you know, the, the, the depth and spacing of, of the hoof prints, you know, turned rocks and leaves, physical evidence. And while it's not always perfect, I mean, I've I've walked trails with with buddies that I've went a hundred yards, and when I I'm like I know it came to here, but I'm lost. I haven't seen any blood, and they're like, we just walked past a, a pool of blood. Like, there, there's more blood over there. 
I'm like, oh, perfect. Okay, so we're going to go this way. <laughs> but <laughs> there's more to it. I'll than always have one friend that's not colorblind. Oh, yeah. No, one. that's I've got people that I call. <laughs> but but uh, it's just something else to consider for people is that, like Doc mentioned, there's a lot more to it than just blood. Yeah, most like definitely. You, you'd be surprised if you actually start paying attention what you can tell from just the physical evidence. I mean, it once you actually start looking, it's it's surprising what what you can see. It's it's a big it's a big picture. It's a big picture to say the least, but uh um, yeah, well, I, I was going to kind of move on cause th- this is something that I've, I've never done. I, this is like one of the things that doc talks about and I've, I've never done it and I don't know a ton about it. But we talk about the front of the arrow a lot and, and that's important, but the back of the arrow is, uh, I, I, I dare I say equally as important uh, but for for different reasons, and one of the parts of the back of the arrow that for arrows that you built, Doc, uh, that I've never really messed with is turbulators or turbulator tape. Uh, what what exactly is happening there? And, and some I'm I'm continually trying to uh, get a better grasp on aerodynamics and uh, uh, and drag and stuff like that. So maybe maybe hearing you explain how the turbulators help uh, uh, will will help me get a better grasp on this. Well, what a turbulator does is it disrupts the laminar airflow along the shaft, which creates a turbulence. The turbulent air has more resistance. So that turbulent air now hits the fletching, and it increases the effective drag effect of the fletching. So you can go down and use much smaller fletching with a turbulator in front of it. And I think the smaller fletching does have some advantages. Uh, one of the things I hope when we get testing, we'll be able to test more, is uh, the sound difference of different types of fletching and shapes of fletching. That little ANA fletch that, uh, that I use subjected to a number of people, many of whom were not hunters. As it flies past them, it has a, a different sound. It's more like uh, you've probably had a small bird fly by you pretty close. It's a sound like that. Yeah, the buzz. Yeah. Where others, you can hear them coming forever. Mm-hmm. So I think there's some advantage to the small flesh, and you can only get to the small For flesh, sure. as small as you can possibly use, by using a turbulator with it. So I tune the fletching mm. just to the broadhead, just like I tune the air. Once I've got the air all tuned, and I go over to my broadhead and make sure that, you know, with this reasonable fletch on just shooting with my field points, then I start reducing the fletching size until I get to the yeah. point that broadhead is no longer stable all the time. Then I put the turbulator on a quarter inch in front of it, and that disrupts the airflow, increases the drag, and then you have to test it. Shoot it into the wind, shoot it across the wind, every direction you can to make sure, okay, it stabilizes under all flight conditions. Then I've got my mm. fletching team. Yeah. And I know, I know you used, uh, uh, in a lot of the testing, it was a pretty similar, uh, blade profile in, in, uh, in most of the testing that you did, 
But uh, so let, let's say you're somebody like me who likes to use a bunch of different broadheads or at least have have those broadheads available to me. So, for example, like a double XL uh, uh, silver flame is a is a large profile. Would it behoove me to do something like that and to set up my fletching with a larger broadhead and and then be when I switch to a smaller broadhead, like let's say something like a Grizzly Stick Alaskan, yeah, I, uh, it, it should hypothetically still have the same like the same controllability. Yeah, it'll actually be overstabilized a little bit with a smaller one, uh, which is yep. which is fine if you're going if you're changing points on the same arrow. Then you want to tune right, the yeah, same arrow that you want to tune that fletching to the broadhead that has the maximum amount of wind shear. So the one that's yep. going to have the most hmm. wind shear is the one you want to tune to. Then as you change these others that have less wind shear, you're going to be a little bit overstabilized, but they're going to fly perfectly. Right, right. Okay. okay that's what, I don't know if you listened to that episode that I did with Weaver or not, but that's how all three of us on that one just... You know, that's how we all tune our broadheads or not. Yeah. You know, that's how we all tune our arrows is just pick the biggest head we have and tune to that one. And then all the smaller ones, it, it, you're good to go. Not a big deal. Yeah. So is there, is there a preference? And I know that th- things change, especially when you look at compounds and, and lo- like longer shots versus, you know, the shorter shots you typically uh, get with the traditional equipment. But is there a preference like on that with, uh, uh, with having helical or no helical or offset or no offset, no. like, is, do you have a preference there, or is there one that that typically helps out in that aspect? I shoot a straight fledge. You've got I shoot okay. feathers, of course. The natural curvature of the feather will give you rotation. You don't have to have any right. offset at all to get the arrow to rotate. And basically, I'm looking to get the least drag on the back of the arrow that I can, and overcome the wind. Mm-hmm. We know that with a field point, with no feathers, we've got perfect flight. So all we need is enough drag on the back to overcome the wind shear on the front. Any more than that is just wasting right. air energy. Right, right. It's like putting out a parachute. And that, yeah, and that's yep. that's what will definitely happen if you have a strong helical when you shoot, especially longer distances like with you know compounds of today. Yeah, at that 60, you know, 50, 60 yard mark, it'll, it's quite literally like hitting a parachute on a drag car. It just, it slows down so much. That will get that, you know, it's just a little bit, but that will boost Line your up. downrange velocity, flatten your trajectory a little bit. You know, it's, you pay attention to the little things they add up. Right. Oh, for sure. What are you going to say, Rob? Well, and that's where, you know, when we talk about tuning fletching, you know, it's a combination of the fletch angle with the size of of the veins or the feathers. So if if you're you know, if you've got say two inch veins or feathers and you're you know not wanting to modify them, you can tune by having uh you know, say a, a three degree offset and then a two degree offset and then straight. Certainly and if you're good part. with straight that now you know that's the least amount of drag that you can have while still having clean flight because that's the goal is is to minimize the drag while still having clean broadhead flight in all applications that's and so that's where it's 
you know, dependent on the situation because you could go from, say, okay, a, a two and a half inch straight does the job. But now if I go to a two inch and I do a one degree or two degree offset, maybe that does the job. Maybe one of them, you know, the, the smaller one might give you a slight bump in FOC. And, you know, so there, there's a lot of variables in that. But the, the end result is to, if you're trying to maximize, is to have the least drag that's required. That's right. Most people hmm. are shooting way, way more flexible than they need to if they tune their arrows. And they're just yeah. wasting well, air force. Yeah. Well, I think if people knew, I, I think that's probably a byproduct of people also not knowing how to tune their bows. Uh, yeah. And it's it's coming out coming out sideways from the very beginning. So they're they're throwing. Yeah. You know, I, I I'm seeing guys and and I I fletched up a couple just to see what would happen and like hey go figure it, it stabilized really well. Uh, but at the expense of nearly 60 grains on the back of my arrow. Uh, but I, I see these guys shooting four fletch uh, AAE um, stealths, which are like 9.7 grains a pop. And then they're shooting like a lighted knock or something. It's just crazy how much weight they've got on the back. And and I'm just like, what are, are you trying to stabilize like a howitzer on the front of your arrow? I don't know. Like what's going on here? Uh, so it just, it's, nuts how much how much fletching people have on there sometimes to to that that's just like you said like complete waste like they're 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 losing arrow performance by doing that so yeah well and a a fun thing to look at if you are debating uh your your fletching choice cody greenwood did a phenomenal test looking at and this was traditional kit um but looking at different size feathers, different configurations of feathers, and this was all out of, you know, tuned equipment and looking at the recovery and consistency of those setups. And this caused some waves in the traditional community when he came out and went like, if everything's tuned how it's supposed to be and your flight is actually clean, like your best flying setup, the best performing setup is going to be a small two inch four fletch, like nothing excessive, minimize that drag. Yep. And everyone lost their minds. Yep. (laughs) I've got a good friend. But, uh, he's shooting one and three quarters on a compound. One and three quarter is three fletch feather, straight fletch. Yep, and stabilizes beautifully, no problem. Well, yeah, well, especially man, and now it makes me really want to add a turbulator because if if that if you can essentially get away with an even smaller profile because of that, then man, there's really no reason not to. I mean, it adds what, like a half grain, like yeah, one grain, nothing. maybe it's nah, n- not the, much. the turbulators that I have on my setup right now. I, I literally I took uh, uh, arrow wrap. And I took, uh, I guess, if, if you have access to a paper cutter, I did it at work. <laughs> um, but I cut just thin, like, I mean, close to a 16th of an inch strip. 
And so I took, you know, a handful of wraps and I sliced them all like that and wrapped them all a quarter inch in front of my, my fletching. And, you know, it, it works great. Yeah. It's not like it's got to be anything crazy. Oh, no. Anything and like it's that. not like you have to go out and spend a bunch of money or anything special. Like I have, I have pinstriping tape that I plan to use. Yep. I've seen, I've seen people do that. Yeah. Just, and you, cause you can go buy it from AutoZone for yeah. a freaking nickel. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's like five <laughs> bucks for a whole roll of it, but you can, yeah, you can do, put a lot of them on there. Do 10 dozen arrows with yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, well, I've I've worked through basically all the questions that uh, that the listeners had. Um, uh, I, I think Rob, one, Rob, Jake, Rob, what anything else from you guys? One question I don't think that we've touched on was there. I believe there was a question asking about. Um, so, and this is kind of a situational thing, but so if you take something like a, a Grizzly Stick TDT, that's a continuous taper. And you compare that to uh, a parallel shaft that has the same front OD at the uh, at, at the ferrule, but you know, so outsert that then drops down to a small diameter shaft, right? So both of them have a reduction in drag, you know. But the question was asking. You know, from a structural integrity standpoint and a an overall performance standpoint, how would you, I guess, break that down as far as the differences for someone that's debating on, on making the, the step to a tapered shaft? Okay. Um, so let's say, hypothetically, yep. I've got a... Ethics insert on both and then one tapered. So I guess a perfect example of this would shaft. be my build. I have the grizzly stick outsert on both shafts. I have a rampage 150 parallel shaft, and then I have a TDT 170. It's the same components up front. One's tapered, one's parallel. Okay. I would go with a, if if you've got perfect flight with both of them. And everything's all good. Everything's say you've got the same FOC. I'm gonna lean toward the tapered shaft because I think that's going to help you overcome any mm -hmm. impact flex more so than that parallel yeah, shaft. Had, I think that's yeah, where you will the difference. The tapered shaft reduces the weight. I may be wrong, which which help. Yep. Uh, that's what you're trying to get that FOC up high because that lighter shaft yep. in the back is going to have less impact paradox. It's exactly what he's saying there. It's also going to come out of launch paradox quicker, being lighter. So you get all the advantages. Uh, I tried some small diameter shafts in the testing where I looked at uh, the penetration gain, and there did not seem to be any measurable gain once you got a shaft that was 5% smaller than the ferrule. So if, if you had that 5% drop down, it didn't matter if your shaft was 9% smaller. There was no difference in penetration between the 5 and the 9. So yep. there seems to be a point in there where you're not gaining any more by going to the smaller shaft. But you are gaining some by going to the tapered shaft. 
because of reducing the weight towards the back. So we are, we're right. We're basically right at the two hour mark. Uh, I have, I quite literally, not exaggerating, I have pages of questions for Doc that we are not going to uh, go over in this episode. Uh, uh, I, I don't, what's that? Bring them with you. Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, there, there we go. I guess, uh, I guess we can kind of let the cat out of the bag. Uh, uh, I don't think I mentioned it at the beginning of the episode, but uh, we uh, will be recording with Doc. It's going to be uh, uh, in a couple of months here. Uh, but um, uh, for for a discussion like that, one, I wanted to do it in person. Uh, so we're going to wait until things kind of uh, die down with all this COVID stuff. But I uh, uh, wanted to do it in person and uh, wanted to do it uh, right, I guess. Uh, so, And I don't think... Uh, a two-hour uh, discussion with Doc is is even scratching the surface of what I want to cover. More of so. a long form that we can break into some parts. Yeah, yeah. That be multiple we can, segments. We can dive as deep as we want to on on you know the minutia and the story and just really enjoy the conversation. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. There's going to be a lot of uh, whiskey and bourbon drank during that uh, oh, during that I'm recording. Forward to it. I can I can promise you that I'll bring um, my own tequila. <laughs> <there you go. laughs> uh, um, uh, Rob Nielsen, uh, do you have anything else you'd like to add uh, in regards to the ABF? Uh, no, sir. I appreciate you having us on. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, I'm, I, I know we kind of mentioned it like before, uh, and then life happened, but I'd really, I think we're really going to try and stick to like a quarterly update. So we'll call this like a Q2 update. We'll do another one before DSC and then we'll do like a one, uh, at DSC with, okay. uh, or with all just, the, or if you just want to touch base with me next August, we can just make it an <laughs> annual. <laughs> I'll, I'll, pen, pen, I'll pencil you in, pencil you in. Whatever works. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Is there, is there anything coming up? with the ABF that you can talk about that's new or no? uh, I have a uh, full blown TPW seminar coming up on August 22nd and we're yeah. doing that at Texas archery nice. uh, right yeah. here in spring. Okay. Uh, so that we'll was... have hunter ed instructors there, bow hunter ed instructors um, and uh, TPWD officials. And, um, and then it's also, since it is at the uh, archery shop, um, anybody that wants to walk in and sit into the workshop is welcome to do that. But, oh, that's awesome. But yeah. they, uh, they very well may get signed up to be a, uh, bow hunter ed instructor by. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Good. I mean, Force them to. We I, need I more was, of those. Yeah. I was really wanting to participate in that. And, uh, it's, I know Matt and I were going to participate when it was originally scheduled in uh what was it, april. april yeah i think so but uh yeah it's i'm i'm flying for a uh hunting trip on the second and i just can't swing back to back yeah that's here. that's but, tough uh, i i hope that it goes well for you guys and uh, i look forward forward to hearing about it yeah. and if there's any way that we can help from afar just let any of us know or all of us know and we'll at least blast it out there for you no I yeah greatly absolutely. appreciate it Greatly appreciate yeah. it. Yeah, wish wish I could be there, but yeah, this stupid surgery has ruined everything. <laughs> um, we'll stuck at home. We'll recover. There'll be other yeah. opportunities, no doubt. Yeah, I know. Oh but yeah, I'm I'm 
still frustrated. Uh, um, okay, cool. Well, and I mean, and last but certainly not least, Doc, uh, what a what a pleasure getting to uh, talk to you and, and listen to to you know your your two cents on things and, and getting some tips and tricks for it from you. Uh, I, I really, really appreciate it. It's been a real treat having you drop in. Uh, like, you know, I think I mentioned at the beginning of the show, I was not expecting, uh, uh, doc to show up yeah, and, definitely not. and I, I did <laughs> not mention this. I had like the worst day at work before this recording. And like after work, I was like, Oh my God, I don't want to record tonight. I'm so tired. I don't want to do anything. <laughs> and I, I click join to hop online and then I see, uh, Ed Ashby's name sitting there and I was like okay who's who's playing a joke and then I see Jake's name and then I see uh, Rob uh, labeled as Jackass because apparently that's that's Rob tonight but I'm like okay there is a sixth person in here and I and then I heard heard Doc laugh and I was like that's definitely him so uh, uh, Doc really I, really appreciate it I yeah. joined before any of you guys were in here I just got back from the shop ordering parts for my bow and I jump on and all of a sudden Ed Ashby is on the call and I'm like, <laughs> wait a minute. Yeah, I got I, I got on and I I saw Doc, I saw your name and I was like, wait a minute. And then you were you were talking or something. I was like, holy shit, what is what is happening right now? Yeah, so thank you very much we, we we definitely appreciate you coming on and uh we we definitely look forward to to seeing you in person good stuff guys good stuff i appreciate everything appreciate everything mm-hmm. you got doing. yeah yeah oh man well i don't feel like we're doing anything compared to you guys my goodness uh jake well, cool. you got anything before we close up here jake had to we walk away from his computer for a minute so oh, he's uh i, I missed that yeah, well, you know, it's okay. Uh, don't worry. We've got oh, you covered. Oh, I'll look at him. Did, did, did it end? Uh, not quite. We're, we're, we're wrapping just up. wrapping up. We're, we're literally wrapping up. Do you have any final words of wisdom for anybody? Stop being stupid. <laughs> Good call. Per- I like perfect. it. Perfect. Yeah, right, let's, let's just sum this up blunt, straight into the point. Hey, guys, let's just stop being a bunch of punk asses. Let's actually start focusing on improving things um, right now. And Rob, I know you're facing it. I've been facing it for years. The antis. If we don't start getting a handle on this and making sure that we're doing things in the cleanest, most ethical procedure possible, we're going to lose our industry. Yep. yep. Not. We're, we've lost it in several locations throughout the world. We know that conservation and all the education is a great tool and how to actually effectively manage everything from endangered species on down. Yeah. But if we continue with these bad attitudes and people just thinking they're holier than now or being rude and inconsiderate, it takes listening on all sides and we have to actually start focusing on that and trying to do it. Yeah. Yep. And that goes down to approach. Yeah. And yeah. did we ever get the can versus will? Yeah, we, we, yeah, we, we touched, touched on, on it a little bit. Yeah, we touched on it. Yeah. You hit on that. That's a good topic, Jake. Uh, I mean, people that say, oh, I don't hunt international. I don't care about what's going on over there, what uh, these uh, things in Africa. Well, guess what? It's happening right here in the North America. And what's happening over there uh, is impacting our hunting over here as well. So our look at California. Lost, well, our our and, and that's the way higher here too. So yeah, we California the, the crazy thing. 
British Columbia doing the Grizzlies uh, oh, a year yeah. or so ago. Oh, geez. Uh, yeah. I mean, it, it's happening right here. Yeah, so, yeah. and uh, the non-voting, uh, non-hunting uh, people vote. So, yeah. uh, that, that's that's well, a big. And the, they the seem crazy to be the thing only ones getting pulled. So is is that our like the U.S. is not you know, we don't live in these other regions, but yet our impact is huge. The, the bands that have been voted in place are affecting conservation in the rest of the world. Yes, it's horrible. And and th- that's going to trickle down. Like, that's what I think a lot of these, like, whitetail guys don't think about is when you go – Oh, that doesn't affect me. Oh, that doesn't affect me. Every little piece is chipping away and paving the way for future legislation. Yep. Yep. And And when we go, you know what? We're going to ban quote unquote trophy hunting and bringing back stuff from these hunts. And then, okay, well, what's the next step from that? We're, we're banning bringing back stuff that is perfectly legal to hunt. Exactly. And, and people like, need to understand and actually do research and get into it. CITES doesn't just let you hunt a animal that's on an endangered species list without approval and without everything else. And understand well, there's different tiers to endangered. It doesn't mean it's about to disappear. Yeah. yeah. Well, and that's it, it can be endangered in one com- country and not in another and mm-hmm. if there's hunting happening one region and not another yeah region, i mean if there's country. hunting happening then there's a program in place and in the vast majority of cases they're <clears throat> taking out trouble animals that are hurting the herd so if you've got a male that is past its prime that is killing younger males in its region that's an animal you want to take out so if someone wants to pay to take that animal out, that's a good thing for the population as a whole. Yeah. yeah. And that's going to grow the population. I mean, you look at the elephants and, I mean, lions in some regions. I mean, there's some phenomenal conservation stories that we could get into. We don't have to here because it would probably take up another 45 minutes. Yeah. But. Not trying to do that. I mean. <laughs> If if you haven't look up some of the conservation efforts that are going on in in some of like the South African countries, um, I mean Katata Eleven, the Twenty Four Lions Project. There's stories like this that are all over the place, where hunting is paving the way for rapid growth of populations that need to grow. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No, and uh, go ahead, Rob. I was just going to say these emotional bans from the government. It'd be like, you know, Rob, you coming down here to hunt in Texas, but then Minnesota says, no, Texas Parks and Wildlife doesn't know what it's doing. You can't bring that deer back into Minnesota. Exactly. Yeah. That's yeah. all it is. It's all emotions. Yeah. 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 And I'll, uh, I'll, I'll wrap up this whole, uh, you know, uh, trying to be an ambassador for the sport with a book recommendation that seems completely out of left field, but uh, I would recommend it to any any of our listeners and, and to you guys if you haven't read it. Uh, it's from a guy named Michael Shermer. Michael Shermer is a uh, he's a professional skeptic and which basically 
is code for a professional arguer with everybody about everything. <laughs> uh, and uh, Michael wrote a book called Giving the Devil His Due. And it's uh, it's essentially a book that uh, uh, talks about um, uh, understanding uh, where your opponent's arguments uh, uh, come from and where they derive from and how to use that uh, when you're trying to make your own point. And, uh, and you want to talk about a, a, a book that's going to make you uh, just a much better debater in, in general and to understand and to kind of, uh, I mean, uh, really like mostly in this book, he, he talks about just being like being nice to people and, and saying, you know, Hey, I understand where you're coming from. And, and that's even with anti hunters, like, and like, I mean, yeah, some of them are horrible, nasty, awful people. It's mostly British women, by the way. British women are the worst. <laughs> they are the absolute worst. And in every case, anytime I see these crazy antis, it's a British woman that's just going off the rocker. Uh, but, but really, in this book quite a bit, Michael talks about just being kind to people. And, and you know, like I said, uh, the antis don't always have you know, the, the, the worst intentions, a lot of times they have the best intentions. They want to save the species, uh, and, and, you know, recognizing that and understanding that and, and, and telling them that you understand, recognize that, uh, uh, goes a long way. So I'll, I'll end it on that book recommendation. Michael Shermer giving the devil is due. Uh, I don't make any money off of that. So go, go, go check that out if you want to, but, uh, um, Rob, Jake, doc, once again, I really, really appreciate you guys coming on. Uh, and we will uh, talk again soon. Yeah, appreciate you having us on there. Yep. Thanks for having us. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Yep. Thanks, everybody. Thank you.